You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would not set our mind upon earthly things, but that we would set our minds upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I draw your attention this morning to just the first three verses from our gospel reading in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, They're significant for a number of reasons, but one is that it is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Leading up to this encounter with Peter, we've had the chapter verses uh, read from last week that Dr. Genelette preached on, which is when Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, uh, a really kind of a nice resort area uh, where uh, the Romans believe the god uh, Pan uh, was born in a cave, the headwaters of the Jordan, and there there's a big rock wall with niches in it, and in those niches were pagan gods that were placed there, and it's in that context that Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in just a couple verses later, we hear Jesus saying to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Uh, Peter's one of those right church, wrong pew kind of guys. But how could he possibly have misunderstood Jesus so much that what he uttered caused Jesus to call him Satan. It's jarring, isn't it? I mean, even in our day and age, which is really irreverent, uh, we don't go around jokingly calling people Satan. I mean, as close as we've gotten is the church lady on Saturday Night Live. But it's something you don't joke about. You don't call people that. And yet Jesus calls Peter that and calls him Satan. Why the misunderstanding? See, misunderstandings might seem innocuous at first. It might not actually be an outright lie, but a misunderstanding about who Jesus is and what he has come to do actually has eternal consequences. When I was in the fourth grade, my grandmother took me up to Nova Scotia and in preparation for that, she made me read Longfellow's Evangeline. And, and while we were there at the park, uh, and you may or may not know this, but the British threw the French Canadians out of Nova Scotia, the Acadians. And where did they send them? Louisiana. Uh, the Cajuns are actually displaced Canadian French. And uh, while we were there, my grandmother, we were eating a lot of lobster up in Nova Scotia. It was October, and that's just what you do. And while we were doing that, I 
started talking about the fact that, you know, it's funny because the French Canadians, you know, they were eating lobster and now the Cajuns, they eat crawfish. And my grandmother said, well, you know why that is? It's because when the Acadians were sent to Louisiana, the lobsters followed them. And it was such a long way that the lobsters shrunk down and that's where we get crawfish from. Now that's a funny story, except when you're in the fifth grade and you're in science class and you're dissecting a crawfish and you're Andrew Pearson who raises his hand and announces that I know where crawfish came from. I was sure I was right, but I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, It it may have been humorous, but it was so wrong that it led to a complete misunderstanding on my part uh, about where crawfish have come from. And so if something as simple as a misunderstanding over that, uh, how much more so a misunderstanding of over who Jesus is and what he's come to do? Because Jesus' ministry has turned here. Uh, The big question that dominates all the chapters leading up to this point in Matthew's gospel are answering the question of who is Jesus? And it culminates there in Caesarea Philippi. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? But you see here in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The question is no longer who do people say that I am, although it's a very important question, but the question now is what has Jesus come to do? And he tells them. This is what he begins to teach. All the Gospels are clear on this. In fact, after John chapter 12, the entire rest of John's Gospel is dedicated to his death and suffering and his teaching on it. And Peter, who aced the quiz on who is Jesus, fails this one when he says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He's rebuking Jesus. Surely not. How could he blow it? Well, Peter, like the scribes and the Pharisees and even the disciples, got it wrong as to what Jesus came to do. You see, they understood Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was promised to come and rule over them, who would throw the Romans out and who would establish God's kingdom uh, here on earth, but in a political way that he would rule. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not how I usher in God's kingdom on earth. I do that by dying. That makes no sense. No, no. How can you rule if you're dead? And and funny enough, the, the disciples really don't ask many questions about it. Uh, other than this, and maybe they were frightened by the response that they got because of what Peter said, but, but no one thought that Jesus at this point was going to be raised from the dead, even though he kept talking about it. No one said, well, if that's the case, should we just put you on ice? Should we bury you in a shallow grave? What, what should we do here? If you're going to be raised, we don't want to go through all... No, what do they do? They put him in a tomb and they roll a rock in front of it. And yet even here, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to be handed over for suffering, 
I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now, you and I may not share the misunderstanding of Peter and the others over what Jesus came to do, but we have our own misunderstandings ourselves in our day and age. I think it's remarkable that in our world, especially in the United States, we see the statistics come out regularly of how many people not only believe in God, uh, but say that they're Christians and believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and yet make the same mistake that Peter does. And even I am prone to make the same mistake that Peter does. And that is assuming that Jesus has come for something other than for him to die and to be raised. Most in our culture, in fact, are very happy to say, I believe that Jesus came and dwelt amongst us, that he died on a cross, and that he was raised on a third day, but then and go live their lives as if it's not true. And I don't mean immorality. In fact, I mean the complete opposite. They reduce Jesus to an exemplar, to one who models love, which of course he is, but he's not simply that. And therefore, people equate morality with Christianity. We do it all the time, don't we? We say, that person is such a Christian person. And what do we mean? They're really nice. They do nice things. They're, they're good neighbors. And certainly as Christians, the call in our lives to love God with all that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jesus would go even further and say that greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And I want you to show others how I have loved you by loving one another in the same way. And yet, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came in order to die. I remember for the first time seeing uh, The Passion of the Christ, which was directed by Mel Gibson. And there was a part of me in that scene where he was handed over to suffering and, and death and throughout all the way leading up to his crucifixion where I had the craziest notion in my mind that maybe the movie's going to turn out better than real life. Because there was a part of me that said, I don't want this to happen. This is awful. This is brutal. And yet Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners. And the only way that that happens is by virtue of his death upon the cross and his resurrection. For there's no other way. We say, well, that's extreme. Yes, it is extreme because the problem's extreme. If we think that it's unnecessary, as one friend of mine told me, well, I don't think that Jesus really needed to die upon the cross. He could have just as easily have died of pneumonia. Well, why would someone think that or say that? It's because they underestimate the gravity of sin and the separation that we have from God. That actually God has to go to great lengths to reconcile us to him by sending his son to die because sin is a significant issue. And it can't be dealt with through right living or even religiosity where we think, you know, if I can just be like this, if I can fulfill the spirit of the law, maybe not the letter, but, but those areas of my life that are public, 
And even those who say, I understand that being good enough is not good enough because there are moments in my life where I I feel my sinfulness in a very deep way. Therefore, I'm going to check off all my religious boxes. I've gone to church. I've uh, put money in the uh, collection plate. Uh, I, uh, I try to pray before every meal. Uh, those types of things are fine in and of themselves, but those actually aren't getting us any closer to God and are not enough to cover the gap between us and God because of our sin. It requires something drastic. And that's why Jesus uses such strong language here. Get behind me, Satan. Because this is not the first time that someone has tried to dissuade Jesus from doing what he came to do. You remember that Jesus, very early in his ministry, was driven into the wilderness, and there he encountered who? Satan. And Satan tempted him. You know, you don't, you don't really need this. Look at these stones. You have the ability to to turn them into to bread or fall off the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple and angels will come and, and save you or survey the world. It could all be yours. But in order for that to happen, Jesus couldn't die. And that was the temptation of Satan. Surely not, Lord. Far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. And so to the person who says Jesus really didn't need to die, that preaching is actually satanic. That's how serious it is because of the consequences of that kind of preaching. To say that Jesus didn't need to die when in fact he did. You know, I, for the longest time, did equate Christianity with moral and upright living. You know, this really dominates youth ministry in 21st and even 20th century America that we send our young folks off to college and tell them as long as you don't drink, do drugs, or have sex, you're doing all right. That's what it means to be a Christian. And again, those things are very important in and of themselves and are reflective of the holiness that that God calls us to in our lives. But it's not the essence and core commitments and Uh, declarations of Christianity. It's not the gospel. I can remember my middle brother. He and I were complete opposites. Uh, My brother, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, well, I'll be nice about it. He was very rural. And, uh, and he drove the big truck with the big tires and uh, had all the wrong bumper stickers on the back of his truck. And he wore overalls to school. And uh, I basically have had the same wardrobe my entire life. Button-down khakis, boat shoes or loafers, socks optional. That's basically been me since I was three years old. And my brother uh, went off to a Young Life camp one summer, and uh, I was working at another Young Life camp, and he wrote me there, and he said, I want you to know that I've become a Christian. And I was overjoyed. 
And so when we came back home at the end of the summer and we had the school year to start up, I was so excited to talk about my brother with his newfound faith. And, and he was articulating the gospel that he realized for the first time in his life uh, that, that Jesus uh, was not just a stern disciplinarian, but what he actually came to do was to save sinners like himself. And he had thrown his life wholly upon Jesus and put his trust in him. But I started scratching my head because he was still driving that redneck truck and he was still wearing overalls to class. I really thought, well, now that he's a Christian, his fashion sense will get better. Uh, he'll tone down his choice in vehicles. Uh, some of the goofy bumper stickers on the back of the truck will go the wayside. Why did I think that? I domesticated Jesus and the gospel, and I thought to be Christian was to be middle-class American. When in fact, what I needed to be told was, get behind me, Satan. Jesus makes it very clear this morning what it is that he came to do. Yes, we need to understand who Jesus is. That he's not just some moral teacher. Although he has a lot of good to say about that, but he's not even a mere man. He's God in the flesh who has come in order to die for us. And so here in Matthew 16, as it says elsewhere in the Gospels, that Jesus begins to set his face toward Jerusalem, that he came for a purpose, and that is to save you and me. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? And we just sang the great hymn, we sing the praise of him who died of what the cross actually means for us. It means fellowship with God the Father. It means becoming a child of God. It means freedom to drive the jacked up truck. It means actually the freedom for the first time in your life to be who you are in light of who Jesus Christ is. But to know that Jesus came to suffer many things and to be killed, and on the third day to be raised so that he might save us, sinners that we are. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.